Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. And today we are talking about the latter, uh, at, at least I hope we're talking about it for quite a lot of time, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I'm not as prepared for this episode as I would, would have liked, and um, you know that, that is partially my fault, yes, uh, but mostly it's <laughs> Peter's fault, uh, because... Yeah. He didn't contribute anything to these notes, uh, which means he's not dedicated enough to our podcast to, you know, skip work or quit his job or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I also just want everyone to note that this is the second week in a row that Ryan is not adequately prepared for our podcast. So uh, but, yeah, you know, again, both times your fault. Um, so if yes. anyone has a problem with either of those, then um, be sure to directly address Peter. Um, just just tell yeah, me how great I am. And then, yeah, you guys can you guys can totally at me on Twitter. I'm more active these days. Um, I'm I'm I've actually been having a lot of fun, um, except when dealing with tankies. Which, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. If you're a tanky and you at me, I'm gonna block you. Um, but yeah, everyone I, else, I'm less hey, active now. I'm uh, I'm I'm becoming a book reading guy. Yeah, which That's is awesome because yeah. anyone who knows Ryan knows that he doesn't like reading anything even remotely fictional. Yeah, I'm reading a fiction book right now. Second one in like two years. Woo! Yeah. Man, you're really diving in the deep end there. I think I probably, through my life, I probably average like one every two years. Like I what mean, are you reading at the moment? Oh, I'm reading uh, Consider Flebus. Flebus. Uh, it's the first uh, book in the culture series by Ian M. Banks. Ah, it's a good, it's a good book. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, it's not bad so far. Um, not yeah, what Banks I, not what got, I expected at all. Yeah, no, definitely. Banks is um, for those who are not um, familiar with his work. He does a fair amount of writing fictitiously about um, post scarcity, so it's it's worth it's worth reading his. Um, his works. Yeah, I was trying to get a um, a Le Guin book off of the bookstore that I got this off of, but they didn't they didn't have any, which was weird. Obviously, they don't respect women, so exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a major problem, if you ask me. Um, okay, so what are we discussing today? It, we're discussing some anime that I've never seen or heard of. Um, yeah, so uh, today we're talking about Kado, the right answer, which um, is also called Sekai Suru Kaido. Kado, sorry. Sekai Suru Kado. It's a really hard Se word to say. <laughs> it's it's a really cool word to say. Seiko Saik. Sekai Suru. Sekai Suru. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I have to say, Japanese is a beautiful language to listen to. Yeah, and I love I love like the fact that they're like all of their syllables are extremely like regular, you know? Like their whole al alphabet is you know, each letter is uh two is uh one syllable and there's not really any irregularities to speak of. So it's like a very different language from English in that regard. Nice. Good, because English is objectively terrible, of course. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so um, yeah, so what were we going to say? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was basically going to say, because I'm, I'm coming into this blind, I don't know the first thing about it, uh, I'm hoping that you can give me sort of like a rundown on, on what is Cardo the right answer. Right. So the most common comparison, and I think the most accurate one, is that it's a lot like Arrival, the movie from, what was it, two years ago? Ooh, I liked Arrival. Yeah. I did too. Apparently that's the wrong opinion according to uh you know uh pretentious film people on Twitter, but <laughs> I think they were mad about yeah. the um what's that hypothesis where like the language you speak determines, determines the, your mental yeah. development or whatever. Yeah, they were mad about that whole part um leading into time travel. I'm just going to guess the way, spoilers that spoilers for Arrival were- if you've never seen it. <laughs> Yeah, it's been two years. Uh, I don't care about yeah. spoilers. <laughs> we, uh, in the in the nerd group um, that you used to be a part of and that you left because you got bored with it, um, there was uh, recently, when I say recently, like three weeks ago, there was a guy that threw a massive tantrum um, and went on, went on like a 300 comment tirade uh, after someone posted uh, a meme uh, relating to Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And he was like, but it's not even out on DVD yet. You've completely spoiled the movie for me. And like, and, and, and I've reached that point. And, and literally for weeks now, uh, everyone's been um, carrying on with that. He, he was removed from the group <laughs> for throwing tantrums. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I've actually reached that point now where if it's been, if the movie is no longer in cinemas, I don't care about spoilers. If it's if it's out of cinemas, get the fuck out. I don't care. I will yeah. spoil it for you specifically because you're telling me you didn't go watch it in the cinema. And honestly, if you see like someone are, talking about it or making, or if you see like a meme about it, uh, just scroll past it. It's not that hard. Yeah, I mean, it's really come not on. That hard. It's really not that hard. I yeah. get it. Look, his his major argument was that he's poor and he can't afford to see the movie in in cinema and right. that he has to wait for it to, to come out on DVD. But this is the same dude that spent... Um, I mean, I've, I've had numerous arguments with him about how um, digital piracy is not theft. Because he's adamant oh, so he pirate, that he won't pirate movies. He he refuses outright. He says it's unethical to pirate stuff, and we're we're taking money out um, of the pockets of hardworking. Yeah, especially uh, like, if you're poor. If you can't afford to consume media, and you're poor, just pirate it, dude. Like, not even the yeah, artists uh, or musicians are going to be that upset with you, you know. And it's not just that for me. Like, it's the very definition of theft that that that. Uh, I get stuck on. I look at people and I'm like, if I steal your car and you wake up tomorrow morning and go to where you parked your car, which I stole, your car is no longer there. (laughs) If I pirate a movie from Warner Brothers, when Warner Brothers wakes up tomorrow morning, their copy their original copy of that movie is still right there. It hasn't gone anywhere. We've made a copy. At 
literally zero marginal cost to anyone. And I'm not taking money out of the pockets of any artist or uh, actor or or whatever uh, because they've already been paid. The, the guys that I'm screwing over are the massive studios that literally are worth billions of dollars and are not going to notice the few cents that I am costing them. Yeah. Yeah, look, if, so, someone, yeah. if someone puts their album on Bandcamp then, and you can afford to pay for it, you should. But um, otherwise, just, you know, just pirate stuff. Who cares? <laughs> it's fine. And I did. I did. I, <laughs> I, I got... I got Chloe's album off Bandcamp <laughs> and I paid for it. And you know, I'm I'm more than willing to pay for stuff. I and I'm I'm anti-capitalist, but I'm not anti-people. Uh, but at the same time, if if you're going through the massive machine uh, and and demanding money because of that, then you've already been paid by the machine. And now me screwing anything over is just screwing over the machine. I don't. I don't give a shit about everything else. So yeah, that was that argument. And so yeah, next time he gives spoiler warnings. That's the kind of thing that makes me like, that made me hate people who self-identify as nerds. Um, I mean, j- just their behavior in general. But that's like a good example you, of of what I mean. You hate me, Ryan? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and this whole time I thought we we had a proper bromance going. <laughs> Do you really self-identify <laughs> as a nerd still, though? I I do. Look, I get the arguments that nerd uh, uh, nerd culture has acted in the last decade as a kind of entry point and gathering point for uh, extreme right-wing fascists. I mean, really, always and, though, but yeah, especially in the yeah, last yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, even within this nerd group that I've mentioned. There are numerous right-wing fascists in the group, and I, I've actually gotten to the point where I no longer bring up politics in that group, which obviously the whole point of the group is just to appreciate nerd culture. But I do. I, 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 and then nerd culture it. now I, is, is just corporate. Like, it's yeah, just mainstream yeah. culture now. But, there's no, I mean, like, when I say... There's not really any non-nerd say, culture anymore. <laughs> Like, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> um, well, maybe not in the West, but, yeah, the rest of the yeah, world I mean, it's still like, has... Well, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's, like, non, there's like non-white, non-male culture, and then there's nerd culture. <laughs> like, nerd <laughs> culture is just straight white male culture. <laughs> God damn it. Um, we have a lot of women in the nerd group, too. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, so I do still identify as a nerd, but I, I don't, I don't use it as an identifier in the same way that I use the term anarchist, for instance. It's not, it's not something that I use. It's not your political what, beliefs. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. But I, 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 I mean, also I guess mean that it's like for for a lot of dudes identifying as a nerd is like is almost like identifying as like anti PC or like Gamergate type person. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a nerd. I don't want the S Jews infiltrating my culture or something shit like that. Yeah. Th- this is the thing. This is the thing is I, I'm, I'm not uncritical of nerd culture. 
I'm not I'm 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 not part of the tribe in that sense. I look at it and I say, okay, so all these people that are having um, shits about uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi uh, that want it remade so that it can be in the image that they uh, imagined it without heroic woman, um, they can go fuck themselves. I don't care. I I I appreciate Star Wars for the the basic message of how um, republicanism um, enables the rise of the dark side, um, how empires and uh, and republics are actually two sides of exactly the same fucking coin, um, how it's all just again a mega machine. Um, and I, I, I appreciate that side of it, and I feel like the the false dichotomy of dark versus light uh, is is very well portrayed throughout the movie series um, in in depicting that it's it's there's gray areas. So yeah, I'm I was not um, uncritical. <clears throat> I watched I rewatched uh, episode eight, eight right. Yeah, eight yeah, with Rich Diane the other night. Yeah, yeah. And um, that scene when they go through the casino town or whatever with all the defense contractors. It is. I, 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 exactly. Yeah, I was um, I was in this shopping center um, called One Loudon. Um, it was my friend's birthday and he wanted to see Starship Troopers, which, holy fuck, that was the first time I'd ever seen that movie. And <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing to me <laughs> in a negative way. Um yeah, but yeah, the whole time I was there, I was just like, man, all I need is a casino and a horse track, and this place is that place from the movie, <laughs> just where all the war criminals exactly. come to like, hang out and uh, spend their uh, spend their ill-gotten gains. Um, the thing that I loved about the Last Jedi was that casino scene, specifically because it it finally if. If you've ever read any of the Star Wars Legends novels, which obviously you haven't, um, actually, there's a lot. <laughs> oh God! Sometimes it's really difficult to talk to you, <laughs> <laughs> and by sometimes I mean most of the time. <laughs> um, the uh, in the books, it is made almost imperatively clear that there. There's a very massive blurry line between the dark side and the light side right. of the force. And um, that the, the, the politics of the galaxy is not this cut and dried uh, uh, evil versus good. That there are those who benefit from the perception that everything is purely black and white. And for me, this has always been, if you look at the books, it is a very strong reflection of society. And this is, um, we'll, we'll talk about this later in the show, this is the, the hallmark of good science fiction, is that it may set it in the trappings of technology and future and space opera or whatever, but it is always... Good science fiction is always a commentary on society. Yeah. Yeah, and um, honestly, that's one of the things that I never liked that much about the Star Wars series is that, like, 
there you, you have no problem whatsoever deciding who to side with <laughs> where in real life it's not even remotely like that at all oh no i i as a kid i had major issues trusting the jedi for me this was this was a a, a religious cult that radicalized a, a a young man that lives in the desert um that radicalized him, uh, indoctrinated him into the cult using lies about his family. Um, and then, I mean, they use mind control. They uh, literally, these are not the droids you're looking for. That's, that's straight up mind control. It freaked me out as a kid. And I always kind of viewed the, the, the Sith as possibly being the good guys. And, I think later on in life, I, I came to the realization that there are no good guys in the story. Um, but mm. from very early on, I was very mistrustful of the Jedi. So uh, the whole thing of who should you like? The only character that I could genuinely like throughout the stories was Leia. The monarch? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Wrong choice, because buddy. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, um, while she was a monarch, a white monarch, um, her her entire view was it was always about serving uh, the people, protecting them, helping them. There, there was never she never wielded any power in any of the stories, unlike Queen Amidala, uh, who well um, she didn't really wield much power either. <laughs> Well, she, <laughs> she 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 kind of had um, deception as a as a, as a under undercurrent in most of her stories. Uh, yeah, no, no, you know what? We're not going to get into that because I've got an entire diatribe about Amidala. Yeah, we haven't even started I, talking about Kato yet. So. <laughs> yeah, um, now that you're done currying okay. favor with the monarch of Bahrain, uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, okay, tell me about Kado. Right. So, first, I, I'm just gonna like uh, say who some of the characters are because I know for a lot of people uh, listening to a discussion about anime gets confusing because it's hard to remember the characters' names. Um, fortunately. The two main characters have extremely different names, and there's no way that you can you can really confuse them. So, the main main character, like the main protagonist, is uh, named Kojiro Shindo. Um, he is a negotiator that works for the Japanese government. Um, and then the main antagonist, um, who you know, for most of the anime, it's like literally like technically an antagonist. Like he's not a villain like not an outright you know mustache twirling villain he's just like the the force that challenges the the protagonist and causes the story to move along um and so his name is yahakui zashunina um which i'm just i'm just gonna call him yz or zashunina um and uh he is a an alien from the anisotropic realm which is like a higher dimensional universe um and i uh, one thing that I found interesting was like I was trying to figure out if his name meant anything. And um, so I went to Google Translate to type his name in because it has like a, a Japanese keyboard. And when I typed it in, 
it it didn't type it in quite correctly. Um, it it put in uh, Yawakui Zashi Yunina, um, but that translates to something is wrong. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like his name <laughs> sounds like something is wrong. It, it it is interesting. Like, is it actually translating, or is it telling you that something is wrong? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> um, Thanks, Google. Yeah. So. Uh, just a couple of the other characters. Uh, Shun Hanamori is uh, Shindo's close friend and, and partner. He goes with them on assignments. Um, and then I might also mention uh, Shinawa Kanata, who she's like this um, kind of kind of nutty professor type character. Um, she's like a you know physics genius or whatever, but she also acts kind of like a child. Um, all right, so. There's like one one like prequel episode um, that that I'll talk about because it, it's very good and sets the tone for the series without getting into the actual story. Um, so for for episode zero, the prequel episode, um, Shindo and Hanamori are about to uh, go on vacation from work, and then um, right as they're about to leave. Like Hanamori is really excited, and Shindo is kind of a workaholic, so he he's like not not as excited. But uh, right before they leave the office, someone gives them a, a like a high priority assignment, um, which is just like to negotiate for this land that a factory is on, and um, it's been like the the proposal has been sitting in a desk drawer for like twenty years. So Hanamori is complaining about it the whole time. Um, but so they go to this factory and um, they talk to the factory owner, this guy named um, Mr. Osakabe. And uh, he, ex- Shindo explains the plan, which is uh, just that they want to build some, it's, it's basically like a, like a venue, like a medium sized venue. Um, and um, so they they gave they give him this offer and they're like you know your factory is not doing well, um, you're retiring soon, and you know we're giving you this generous offer so you can pay your employees severances and you know you can have a little nest egg to retire on and you know your company won't crumble or any or you know you won't have to watch your crum uh, your company die or whatever, um, and then Shindo uh, is is just sitting there listening to Hanamori. Um, say this and he's looking at this picture um, that's in Mr. Osakabe's office and then he gets a wild hair up his ass and asks for a, a tour of the factory um, so the, the factory is uh, like an electroplating factory that makes chrome parts like industrial um, high hardness um, you know machine parts basically and um Osakabe explains that um, at one point they were getting all kinds of contracts and they developed this, you know, new technology um, for extremely hard industrial machines. Um, but then the the revenue dried up again and now they can't really afford to try and develop anything new. Um, and Shindo is really impressed by like what he's seeing there. Um, and so he um, he starts asking around. Um, 
he thinks there's like something more to this whole uh, proposal um, because as as Hanamori said, it's been sitting in a desk drawer for 20 years. So like, why all of a sudden are they, you know, stopping them from going on vacation and making this high priority assignment? Um, you know, their their job. Um, and as he asks around, someone even characterizes the the person that assigned it to them as the the do nothing bureaucrat. So like. They think it's even weirder. Um, so after he talks to some people, he convinces the factory owner, Mr. Osakabe, to uh, try for one month to develop a new uh, plating process for uh, low friction metal. He got this idea from uh, a physicist that's one of the characters in the subsequent episodes. Um, and so they, they kind of characterize... Um, Shindo and Hanamori through the montage that follows here where Shindo is like very dedicated and always on task and always kind of very serious and Hanamori is always kind of like goofing off with people and sleeping and you know not not fully focusing on stuff um, so they they end up succeeding developing this new technology um, and uh they're going to be able to keep the the factory open and uh just as they're producing the first finished part with this new technology um the undersecretary the guy who assigned this deal to them in the first place um arrives at the factory and uh so shindo explains that the technology fits in with a large government program for industrial innovation and rather than you know, demolishing the factory and building this, you know, little arena thing that would, you know, maybe bring in tens of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of yen a year. Um, this, this new project could be worth hundreds of billions of yen. Um, so he proposes that the company and the cabinet office proceed with development as a, a joint project. Um, and then at the end of this, it's revealed that um, the reason the undersecretary is, is involved in all this is because he's been friends with Osakabe since the factory opened and he's he's in the middle of that picture. So that's what caused Shindo to to do all this is he saw the undersecretary in this picture in Osakabe's office um and then realized like there was something more to this whole thing. And Osakabe ex or uh, sorry the undersecretary explains that he never cared about the the arena um, he was just trying to get his friend some money before his business failed, which like it's basically open cronyism, but I think we're supposed to like sympathize with him and kind of agree with him. Um, yeah, he's just trying to, he's just trying to be a good neighbor scientist. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in the, in the last scene of this episode, uh, Shindo explains like, uh, cause Hanamori brings up like, wow, I can't believe you did all that just from a, you know, deal to buy some land. And Shindo explains, like, this was, like, my assignment wasn't to buy land, it was to negotiate. And he says the goal of negotiations is to acquire whatever is in uh, your best interests. Defeating a rival for a temporary gain will always come back to bite you in the ass. The best thing you can do is to settle on something that meets the best interests of both parties involved. Um, so that, that kind of sets the tone for, like, what type of show this will be and, um, like, you know what the views are of the the writers on how politics should happen 
because I mean the, the whole mm. thing was a, a political process, even though it was about a business. Um, yeah, you know, most people yeah, think of those two things are separate, but then. business is politics, and yeah. that's that's all that was. It's actually I, but I find it interesting already because anyone who has studied contract theory mm-hmm. will tell you that the purpose of a contract is to act as a means of coordination for two parties to get um, the best uh, or, or, or to meet each other's interests while protecting their own in the best possible way. So it's almost exactly the same thing. So in essence, for me, in my head immediately, these negotiations are, are contracts. So, yeah. Um, okay, well, it sounds like an interesting series. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I went into way more explanation for that because um, it's much harder to find episode zero. And, you know, it's not required watching as part of the series. So I figure it would be best to give way more detail about that. Um, so for the next couple episodes, I'm just going to give a more a brief summary. Um, so cool. episode one kind of blends right into... Or episode zero blends right into episode one. Um, the ending of episode zero is almost identical to the beginning of episode one. Um, so th- that last conversation was taking place in a plane uh, that was taxiing uh, down the runway. And so in episode one, while they're taxiing down the runway, um, this cube appears in the sky and starts growing larger. Um, and it, it appears kind of right above where the plane is. And um, it it grows to a size where it starts swallowing up the plane, and everyone's freaking out because there's this like this weird like jelly looking stuff that's getting inside the plane, and uh, you know Hanamori gets trapped in it, and then and then kind of the rest of the plane does. Um, so yeah, that's the arrival of the alien, obviously. Um, yeah. So there's this huge cube that's ju- that's just sitting there in the middle of Tokyo, um, and uh, everyone is kind of like too stunned to know what to do. Like you know, in a lot of scenes where there's aliens arriving, people are like freaking out, running around like headless chickens. But um, here, I think, is a a much different reaction where people are just stunned into silence and the the form of panic is like what do we do about this we've never experienced anything like this before um so the government is talking about it and they believe that there were you know over 250 casualties because of this plane that was swallowed up um but uh shinawa the the nutty professor character um she shows a video of it happening and she points out that like the there's no reaction from the plane so it's unlikely that the plane was crushed or anything like that so the the people could be totally fine um so the military sends a drone to observe the cube uh which appears to give off like no radiation whatsoever not even infrared um they tried to penetrate the cube um with a bunch of different methods and um none of them work so uh, Shinawa, the the scientist girl, um, says it's like a new. She discovered like she's naming this as a new field of physics, where it's like 
materials that exhibit extreme isolation. Um, and let's see, someone calculates that with the food and water supply on the plane, passengers wouldn't last more than two weeks. Um, so they, they start getting into more of a panic then. Um, so they, um, once they figure that out, they, they send a tank out to try and like shoot a hole into the cube, which also doesn't work. Um, so right as they do that, um, the cube opens up and, and Shindo emerges, uh, followed by the alien Yahakui Zashunina. And, um, that's, that's the end of episode one. Um, episode two, um, Shindo kind of becomes the representative of Zashunina and explains that he's from a different universe. Um, the, uh, he explains that the, the passengers are fine. They're being fed and everything. So there's no, like, um, there's no danger that like explicitly set aside from like, you know, the underlying tension of, we have no idea, uh, what this, um, aliens intentions are, you know, he, he could be pretending to be good to, you know, get into a more favorable position to, fuck us over more later or something like that. Um, and the government creates like a, a Kato response unit to deal with the situation. Um, so that they're starting to get into the politics stuff like right away. Um, which is, I, I think what's like the most enjoyable part of the show. Um, so the, for the rest of this episode, the show backtracks a bit and shows the initial arrival of the plane. Um, it kind of shows like Zashunina's power because um, Shindo explains at one point, like, th- yeah, the passengers aren't going to survive if they don't get food. We don't have enough food in here. So um, Zashunina uses uh, Kado, the cube, to scan a piece of bread and creates like dozens of copies of it. So you you see like, besides just being able to travel between dimensions, the te- their technology is extremely advanced, like post scarcity type technology. Um, and so the last one I'll. The episode three I'll talk about is like that's gonna be the last one I'll summarize because otherwise the whole thing is just gonna be a synopsis of, of this show. Um, well, I'm 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 not gonna lie to you, uh, except for the ums and ahs, I'm really enjoying your telling. <laughs> um, I'm liking the story. Yeah, this this is the one that really like makes the story um, extremely interesting. I think. Um, uh, so this in this episode we kind of learn what. Uh, Zashunina's intentions are. Um, so first, he he demonstrates the connection between his universe, which he calls Novo, and our universe by like he kind of um, shrinks his arm into his universe and uh, expands it back out, like in a different spot in our universe, to like grab something that's all the way across the table, and then brings it back to him. Um, so he explains that his universe is connected to every point in our universe. And uh, Kato, the cube, is, is just a boundary between the two. Um, and one thing I think is really interesting about this episode is the show attempts to address a question that uh, we Westerners always ask about sci-fi centered in Japan, which is, like, why is it in Japan? <laughs> um, you know, like uh, Godzilla or, you know, any any of the, like, famous sci-fi things. It's like, why is this all... Why all is it, sorry why does all why, this shit happen why? in japan why is everything yeah. always happening in japan like <laughs> anytime there's aliens invading or anything, they always appear in tokyo what the fuck 
Um, it's always either Tokyo or New York. I don't know why aliens yeah. aren't more tourist-centric. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they go to Mexico City? Isn't that more populous? What the fuck? Stupid racists. Yeah. Very racist and classist. <laughs> um, so uh, someone actually asks, like, why, why did you show up in Japan? And Zashunina explains it's because of the heart of the Japanese people. As in they're like, he uh, analogizes it as like their willingness to share bread. But to me, this is like kind of a strange answer because Japan has long been controlled by inveterate xenophobes who would likely have Japan be totally isolated if it weren't such a disadvantage for them personally to cut themselves off from the world entirely. Um, so I, I think that's a weird explanation, but I guess maybe that's how they see themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for for the rest of this episode, uh, Zashinina introduces WAM, which is like this pair of spheres that, that are sources of limitless energy. Um, so he, um, he's in this meeting and it's kind of at night. So there's all these lights on and it's like right next to Kato at, at this airport. So they have all these like backup generators and stuff and it's on a separate grid. So he, you know, uses his previously demonstrated anisotropic power to move his arm to other places to, um, cut off. Uh, he, he like cuts a bunch of wires to like all the generators that that feed the grid and like black out all the lights and then he um materializes the ends of the wires all in one spot and then connects them all to um a WAM and then it powers the entire grid by itself and these are you know these are like four inch diameter spheres they're not very big at all um and late, later on in the series they explain that like not only is it a source of limitless energy, but they automatically give out the correct voltage and current to anything that it connects to. So if you were to connect it to a CPU, you know, it would give out 12 volts and, you know, uh, five amps or whatever. That's probably a, a lot, <laughs> whatever CPU uses. Um, actually that's probably kind of accurate, but, um, yeah. And, and if you were to connect it to, you know, the entire power grid of the U S it could power the whole thing. It would run at 120 volts AC and, you know, it'd supply the right amount of current. So it's like basically a technology that totally eliminates any need for another energy source. And so um, the, the following episodes are all about how um, different countries, especially oil producing countries, uh, react to... Um, Japan getting this this technology that can eliminate the dependence on ener any energy source. Okay, so it actually... Um, I'm not going to lie, from a political economy standpoint, it's a fascinating show. Yeah. Okay, I do see in our notes that you say that at episode 9... Everything goes pear-shaped. Yeah, what happens? Yeah. Um, so just on the, on the note of uh, political economy, by the way, uh, Peter and I were talking about this before we started, but um, I didn't really mention it while I was um, describing the synopsis of the show. This all takes place in our world. So everything politically is, is identical to, 
today. So they have they have like a UN. You know, it takes place in 2017. Uh, excuse me. Um, you know, a, a, everything is completely the way it is now. So it's oh God, like, do they have do they have Trump? Uh, they don't have Trump. No. Um, although the the UN representative for the U.S. Uh, bears a vague resemblance to Trump. He's kind of a blonde business-looking guy. Um, <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. And the U.S. acts very much like the U.S. They're, you know, they're using the Security Council to strong-arm Japan and into doing what it wants. Um, they obviously want to take this technology and just put it in a warehouse and never speak of it, um, so that you know everyone will be continue to be dependent on oil. Um. Yeah, and the, and the Russians are this way too. They they do mention the Russians a little bit. Um. Yeah. So sorry. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had a question other than what happened in episode nine. How did how did everything? Yeah. Fall so apart? so they get more into the WOM. Uh. By the way, one of the features of the WOM is that um. Zashunina doesn't have to give out enough WAM for everyone on earth. He actually like shows people how to make them or rather he, he gets um, Shinawa, the mad scientist woman to figure out how to make them. And as it turns out, you can make them out of paper. So like literally anyone on earth could make WAM um, as long as they're capable of following the steps to do it, um, which initially turns out to be very difficult um you have to like fold the paper in a really specific way and then you kind of you stand it up on a table and it's like you know i don't know probably like a foot tall thing and uh, then you like smash it down with your hands and then it like reshapes itself into a sphere and starts floating and then th then that's giving off energy um so they show like a montage of people that had tried to do it and they're all just like s surrounded by giant piles of <laughs> crumbled up paper that they fucked up. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like a really good, like the whole show is a very good advertisement for the origami industry. Yeah. I was thinking that I was like, why when they asked like, why Japan, why didn't he just say like, Oh, because you guys are good at origami, and I'm going to show you how to make unlimited <laughs> energy by folding paper. <laughs> and there's even there's even this uh, there's even this like symbol used in the story uh, for Shindo, which is this bookmark that he made. That's like it's like a, an origami bookmark. So like they have origami in the series besides just the wong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a really good series but they didn't really think everything through <laughs> yeah yeah there's actually another um interesting craft that they show like a traditional japanese craft i don't remember what episode it is so i'm trying to find it real quick but it's it's basically um on japanese temples there are like these metal brackets like um like that they put i don't i don't think it it's like a structural component that holds two pieces of wood together, but it's like, you know, where two pieces of wood would join. They put these metal brackets and, um, they're like, uh, embossed metals. They had these really, um, detailed images on them. Oh, here it is. It's called, uh, Kazari Kanagu, um, which translates to decorative metal bracket. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
one of the characters, uh, her her dad has, uh, he makes uh, Kazari Kanagu bracket. I don't I don't know what you actually call it. She, she called the art form that. Um, so I don't know what the actual like noun is for the resulting piece, but um, yeah, it, it, it seems really cool. If you look up Kazari Kanagu, you can see a bunch of images of it. It looks it looks cool. Um, so what happens in <laughs> episode nine? Um, I mean, this whole thing is going to be spoiler laden. I think we already established that early on, but basically in episode nine, uh, it devolves into like a magical girl, uh, like shown in battle anime. Um, because the Shunina like just goes crazy and pulls out an energy sword and tries to kill Shindo with it. So, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So up until this point, it's it's all been like, uh, how does humanity deal with meeting an alien who, you know, we don't exactly know his intentions or his culture or anything about him um, other than, you know, just the face that he's presented us? Um, and how do we deal with these technologies that radically alter the fabric of society and, you know, could could revolutionize everything that we do. Um, and then, um, the Shunina has suddenly has like this convoluted nonsensical motivation where he, um, wants to take humans to the anisotropic universe. Um, so he like creates a clone of Shindo and invites him to the anisotropic. And then when he says no, He's like, all right, fine. Well, I made this clone of you. Um, I'm going to kill you now and then uh, try and convince you again. So it's okay, like, so, so why didn't he just like take the clone to the, to the other universe? It doesn't make sense. So, so, so this is a whole series that starts off with really complex um, views of post-scarcity and, and uh, potential at some point, yeah, the they, studio they have all these like crazy political. Like, there's like this crazy political, you know, plot where they're trying to, you know, uh, make the WAM available to everyone while all these oil producing countries are trying to get it shut down. And you know, how do like how do we deal with um, you know negotiating with this alien without leading to conflicts of interest? You know, they create like a special position in the government for. They, that they intend for Shindo to use where he has like the same powers as the prime minister. Um, and you know, all, all this crazy stuff. And then, yeah, it just evolves into, um, Oh, now, now as a has an energy sword and he's trying to kill the hero. <laughs> it's, so it, 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 it sounds to me like, um, the studio executive that, that, Oh, that gave the green light for this this anime sort of came in and said, uh, look, we really appreciate the amount of effort you've put into telling this very complicated and, and very useful story um, for guiding humanity to a better future. But have you seen the ratings for My Hero Academia? We want you to do more of that. <laughs> Like that's that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I, I tried looking for like, 
I mean, I didn't spend a ton of time on it because I, I don't even know how I would find this kind of thing. But, like, I tried to look for, like, what the fuck happened? Why did the series make a total 180? Um, so I saw a lot of people talking about it on, on Reddit, which is, like, the only source I could really find anyone talking about it on. And um, some people were speculating that they were rushed, um, which I... I've seen a lot of people say that about other series, so I think that is a problem that happens a lot in um, Japanese media where it's not necessarily like, oh, the ratings suck, change what you're doing. It's more like, hey, you only have this amount of time, so like, you get it done now. So maybe they didn't have time to think of what to do with the rest of the story. But like to do a total 180 like that is, I mean... It's very strange. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it's so fucking disappointing. Um, yeah. but I mean, even with like, that, I, like the series is, is definitely worth watching. Like the first nine episodes are extremely good and really interesting. And, you know, maybe you can imagine an ending that's better. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that they, that I think they're making a movie. So I'm hoping that it's going to be like end of Evangelion where like everyone was so pissed at the end that they're like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll do better. We're, we'll do better this time. We're going we're gonna to make our own fan version and it's going to be much better than yeah. anything you did. Yeah. Wow, I wonder where I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a fan version of the series would not near be nearly as good because, like, one of the real strengths of it is is the animation and the art. So um, they definitely yeah, utilize the budget the, well on that. Yeah, I must say the artwork that I've seen so far has been pretty damn decent. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the other thing, like, even worse than just the um, the magical girl battle shonen anime thing is uh, the way they resolve the plot at the very end. Um, so in the second to last episode, um, Zashunina traps Shindo in this like isolated dimension, and Shindo pulls out uh, pulls this other an isotropic being that has turned out to have been there the whole time, which again, like not really a lot of setup for that. So it kind of came out of nowhere, but you know, not, not as bad as most of the other stuff, like definitely forgivable. Like if they just had a regular story and then for some reason, you know, <laughs> the character was like, Oh yeah, I'm also from the anisotropic. You'd be like, okay, sure. But on top of everything else, it's like, <laughs> come on. But so like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but the the problem is like, um, she was born into a human body, so like she doesn't have as much power as Zashunina. So like she's she's less of a powerful magical girl than Zashunina is. <laughs> um, so she can't beat him in a fight. So the way they resolve this is, um, there's another technology that Zashunina gives called the Nanomasheim, which basically allows you to take any like part of the universe and like tune all the properties of it. So like you can change its mass or inertia or momentum or, um, you know, change the pace of time. And so what they do is they set up this isolated space, um, where they're going to accelerate the passage of time. And so what they do is they have a, uh, a child together and then um, bring her up to 16 years old where she's like this hyper powerful 
like god like being who's able to defeat the shunina without even trying and th- this all happens in the last like 10 minutes of the, of the series so like there's no setup for this whatsoever um there's like no I, there's no tension at all no tension at all in their fight it's just like he attacks her and then she just like brushes it off like it's fucking nothing at all and then like vaporizes him it's just like all right even if you're gonna do that like that's not even a good like final fight like holy shit have you ever watched like naruto <laughs> what the fuck man <laughs> i'm 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 all I've done is listen to you explain the story, and I'm sitting here going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, so I, I think the the problem actually started with that Nanomasheim thing, the thing that allows you to tune the properties of the universe. Because, like, I mean, it it really opens the door for bad story writing because it just removes too many rules of the universe. So it makes it way too easy to write an unsatisfying story. Cause mm. like almost anything you could do no. with it. It's like, you could think of a million other things like, Oh, well, why didn't you do this instead? Like, Oh, uh, if you can, you know, tune any of the properties of the universe, like, you know, why not, you know, turn forward uh, time and just go into the future and like pluck out the solution from, you know, however they solved it the hard way. And then like, you know, go back in time and then do it the easy way or something, something like that. You know, like you could think of literally anything to make it's any story element, like a plot hole. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, look in, in story writing, the, the inclusion of a MacGuffin is always a problem. The moment that people See, include I thought a MacGuffin, MacGuffin was like the a thing that everyone's chasing after, isn't it? Am I am I thinking of the right thing? I might not be thinking of the right thing. Yeah, I, I think a MacGuffin is like a mysterious object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It's uh, an object uh, or a device uh, that serves same. merely as a trigger for the plot. Yeah, usually it's like yeah. it's something that you yeah. don't you don't actually know what it is inside. It's like a, it, a box um, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, in, I, I think in, I know what you mean like, like a, a, a thing that just makes has anything possible. It, it's the Superman problem. It's the, right. the, the idea of a Mary Sue character, uh, of, of having this all-powerful, can-do-no-wrong thing that you include in your story, and it just, it, it, it sort of, it takes away the core conflict it takes away the the potential for growth and for uh, the, the story to mean something. Do right. you know what I mean? And yeah. the moment you do that, like the stakes are gone, and and it deflates everything about it. So yeah, I totally get you. Yeah, and the other the other big problem with the Nanomasheim is the like they. Zashunina explains how it works and the way it works is uh, the anisotropic beings actually like created our universe um, as a way to like generate information because they have this weird thing about how because the anisotropic exists in like in like 40 dimensions there's way more information going through so they are able to process information faster so they have like you know they're like starved for information and so they create these cocoons which are just like different universes to 
in it like in an attempt to create new information or something like that and so basically like um each of those little cocoons has different um you know universal constants like the like gravitational constant and all that shit like that's uh that's something like uh that people speculate about is that there's a bunch of different universes with you know where the gra- one universe has a gravitational constant that's different here and that causes like radically different properties and it would be shaped totally different which like that part of it is interesting but um yeah the way that connects to the nonoma time is that like they can just change those constants at will but only for like you know a restricted part of the universe um but yeah anyway that part also i think helped bring about its downfall um because that that connected to sashunina's motivations of like uh oh i want to bring humanity into my universe it yeah it, I, it just I, doesn't I think, work overall yeah if they took the nanoma time out of the show um it would have been much harder to write the really bad ending <laughs> that they managed to <laughs> write um um so one thing i forgot to mention that relates to um the the plot turn and being rushed and everything was um unlike most anime this series is not based on a manga so there's no source material to pull from so like they're doing everything themselves so they wrote the entire story for for this series that's Um, interesting yeah because um i was really hoping i could go find the manga yeah unfortunately not um yeah because I, i i was surprised too because it's like wow this must have been a manga first like there's no way they could make this story as you know originally as a show but yeah no it's just it's a totally original anime um so i i think the root of the issue though um with them doing a 180 on the on the plot um is is a common problem in fiction uh which is that nobody can or wants to imagine a radically different world um so at the end of the series, the, the paralysis is so severe that they actually like undo the entire plot by making the the WOM and, and the other technologies that he introduced like useless. So like all the WOM that people made just like become regular bits of paper. Um, so like you, you know even if the ending was this like magical girl ending, like they could have shown us like a few minutes of like how the wand would permanently affect the world, which, you know, would have been a much better replacement for, um, you know, battle shown in <laughs> BS at the end. Um, but even if it was just like, you know, a few minutes at the end, it would have been a much better show, but they, they just like, couldn't do it. They undid everything. They almost, okay, uh, like, so they almost may have- as well have just like, wiped everyone's memory and been like oh nothing happened the whole time huh <laughs> like yeah I've, I've seen there's been numerous stories that make this mistake um at the very end of the story the character wakes up and it's all been a dream um then yeah. why the hell did you make us sit through everything <laughs> yeah like really that's stupid it, it, it's the easily my most uh, 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 my, my, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to storylines. Um, anyway, I just very quick 
basically did a search for Kato, the right answer. Kato, Kato. Um, yeah, it's not the Kato. Turns out, um, it turns out that a manga adaptation was launched on the 22nd of March last year. Oh, interesting. Um, so they've obviously they've gone and that they've uh, done it after the fact. Um, and there's a spin-off uh, manga called uh, Seikai Surukado, um, which is essentially the same thing, but uh, this one's called Blue Spring and Railgun. Um, so yeah, it looks like there is some stuff uh, going on. The, the, the spin-off uh, story takes place after episode five and follows a group of high school students who, lo- who whose lives are radically changed with the arrival of Cardo and the infinite energy source. So yeah, that's another thing they could have done. Like even if they wanted to make a quick ending, that's like you know to like devolve the series into like an action thing. Like why didn't they do like a a war? Where, you know, speaking of rail of railgun, they like you know they have some railgun and they're like, oh, now we can put infinite power in our railgun and you know blast a hole in Japan from across the planet or something like that. Like yeah, like there's so many things they could have done yeah, instead. Then like oh, the Shunina has an did. energy sword now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's Cardo. Which I, I'm, I'm I still keen recommend to it. Watch. I, I still still recommend it, um, even though it ends up being a train wreck. Um, you know, the train is nice, and then the wreck is not not so nice to look at. But you know, the first eight episodes are really really good, um, and then the next well, three I, are bad. I'm, I definitely think I'm going to uh, watch it for my own opinion, probably come back at you and go, no, the last episodes were the best. Um, I don't think you'll think that, but <laughs> you can try. <laughs> no, I probably won't. I'm, I'm shocked that they took something that had so much potential and basically just put it on the ground and yeah, shut it's, all it's over. It's really disappointing because, man, it's like, oh, I've been tr- looking for something like this for so long and you took it away from me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm hoping I'll get around to watching it and uh, checking out the manga as well, um, if I can find it. Yeah, I'm hoping the spinoff is decent. Or, yeah, I don't know if I saw... I, I thought what I saw was a movie, but I don't remember that title, so maybe they're making multiple things? That would be cool. Um, yeah. Hopefully they do cool. well with maybe it. Maybe they can do what um, Joss Whedon did for um, Firefly when he made the Serenity movie, except for Killing Wash. That that was fucked up. <laughs> that was, that was really. I, it's still too soon. Um, okay. Um, before we move on, I've just noticed. Uh, did you mention your overall comments about the show? Um. No. Yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about this funny little bit of trivia. Uh, Zushunina believes in EM sensitivity, <laughs> like Joel <laughs> Stein, because uh, at one point he puts Shindo and Shinoa in an EM-shielded room to maximize their concentration, and uh, the Prime Minister of Japan is talking to him, and he's like, electromagnetic waves don't affect humans, what are you talking about? And he's like, not according to your science. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so, so science is individualist, is it? <laughs> Mo- most of our visions of the future in media are dystopian. Um, especially nowadays, like not, not as much like in the mid 20th century, but nowadays it's pretty much every vision of the future is, is something dystopian. Um, can't imagine why, um, uh, might have to do with reality, but, um, I, I can't quite make the connection there. So, um, I'll just move on from that. Um, so there's, there's a few types of dystopian stories, uh, that, that I can think of. Um, there's ones that center around, the operation of the state with advanced technology like uh, Ghost in the Shell, Blade Runner, Psychopaths. Um, there's ones where advanced technology have enabled a more deeply oppressive state and a rebellion fights to revert society back to the romanticized liberal past, uh, which is just like a whitewashed present for those. Um, examples of those are Hunger Games, uh, Eureka 7, and uh, Code Geass. And then there's, there's ones which are so far removed from our current world that there is little to take away in terms of uh, its themes. Um, so ones like that are like Trigun, Fist of the North Star, Blom, and Big O. Um, so while they're entertaining stories generally, um, I think it's a, it's a real shame that hardly any show, movie, or game, um, I think books are probably an exception but hardly hardly any piece of media has attempted to imagine a, a radically different world, let alone one that's actually good. Um, in fact, uh, anime or manga might be one of the perfect media for this because of the well-established slice-of-life genre. So for those who don't know, slice-of-life is a genre where it, it's just like there's no like crazy plot there's no like fantasy story or anything like that well there, there could be but it, it's basically just the daily life of someone and just you know kind of following a set of characters around in their normal um everyday interactions you know going to school or going to work or, and, and just hanging out and stuff like that um so it's it's not quite a drama um because they they don't really play up any tensions i i think um and it's not really a comedy because it doesn't focus on telling jokes it's 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 just sort of a depiction of what things are like i, I guess it's kind of like it's kind of like a still life but for animation because it's, it's just sort of depicting what is um so i i think that could be a really good genre for utopian fiction uh, because a common not necessarily well thought out uh, concern for utopian fiction uh, is the lack of conflict in society, which makes it like not conducive to an interesting narrative. Um, but slice of life stories look at daily life. So they don't require wars or oppressive states or rebellions to carry, carry the narrative. Um, so uh, I think a look at what daily life could be like without the toil of obedience to the state could by itself be an interesting story and used to explore what might motivate people of a utopian future, like uh, what Mm -hmm. normal everyday conflicts they might experience and just like, you know, how things could be like just imagining a different future, I think would be really interesting. Um, And anime and manga aren't as conducive to this, but I think, I think comedy would be another good genre for an exploration of this. Um, I think Futurama almost 
does this. Futurama is sort of dystopian because, you know, even with all this wildly advanced technology, it's still just like the U.S., but over the entire planet. Um, but they they do explore like what conflicts we might have when we don't have to worry about some of the stuff that we worry about now and have all this advanced technology that, you know, solves some of those problems. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this whole thing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that, uh, you know, that we do, we struggle to envision, um, utopia and and like what can you think of that um portrays utopia other than star trek can you you think of anything uh not really you know i i i've been reading this really weird web comic called um schlock mercenary that sounds corny (laughs) it's it's not it's it's just it's kind of lame and and weird and there's uh the, in about the seventh season of the of the webcomic there there's one little section where schlock who's like this turd looking um <laughs> alien life that is sort of central to to the story um where he's speaking, like the whole thing is set in the future, and he's speaking to this AI that has existed for like 60,000 years um, and has seen the rise and fall of various galactic civilizations. And the, 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 the AI looks at Schlock and says, you know, I have seen countless civilizations cross over into post-scarcity and every time they do, they go ahead and find something to consider scarce again. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is sort of the problem that we're dealing with when we try and think of a utopia. Is in in our envisioning of a perfect world, a perfect society, we we use a definition of perfection that I don't personally agree with. Um, yeah. We use this idea of something that cannot be improved. And, and to me, that's not perfection. To me, perfection is something that cannot be static, that, that, that adapts and changes, because that's, that's how everything works, you know? <laughs> like right. entropy is, a, is an ongoing thing. So for me, a utopian society has nothing that is stagnant in, in that sense. It, it's something that that flows and moves, and uh, uh, to to say that there there might be some uh, show or whatever that that depicts it. Ah, oh, God. I th- <laughs> this is gonna sound weird because it's technically dystopian media, uh, but but Firefly was the closest thing I got, to be honest. The life on board the Serenity, that that is a utopia for me. Yeah. You know, they they had this rogue Western lifestyle, uh, living on the fringes of the solar system that they lived in and uh, it was like uh, taking the challenges as they come, not too much planning too far ahead, just living life. And 
for me, that's utopia. That's that's the ultimate dream. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, for me, like when I when I think of utopia, really, all I'm thinking of is like a society where there's not a state and there's post scarcity. That's mm. like my only criteria for it, and I mean that's partly because the way I think of utopia is like something to move towards so to me that's like a far off enough goal that i would consider it utopian whereas yeah for some people it's like you said like some people consider utopia to be like a perfect society where there's no problems no imperfections and it's just like that to me that's by uh, for me by using that definition of perfection it it literally it, it um it limits the notion of utopia to something that is unachievable. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I don't know, I feel like it's a negative take on the whole thing. Um, now, now that you mention it, um, I think pretty much every dystopian movie, more or less, is essentially utopian at the end. Because the whole point of the dystopian storyline is that at the end of it all, the the dystopian uh, world is overthrown and there's a utopia that comes about. But well, again, not always because there's you know like like Blade Runner at the end, you know yeah nothing major political happens. Even at the end of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, there's the hint that like yeah we're gonna change everything, but that could easily fail. Uh, or and, there's and there's like you know 1984 where it's the complete opposite it's like not only did nothing change the last hope that you had has been utterly destroyed fuck yeah. you uh kill yourself Die. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah um and then um, and then i think i think in in series where they do actually overthrow the oppressive society they're not create i don't think they're creating a utopia at all i think i think their idea is literally just to go back to liberalism to yeah. go back to the thing that led to the dystopian society in the first place, which is always a good yeah. idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great idea. Like the capitalism suck. Let's go back to feudalism. Yeah. Um, like like there's, I, I can, I cannot imagine that after the events of the hunger games that they're going to be like, all right, now let's do full communism. <laughs> There's no yeah, fucking way. definitely not. I mean, literally, <laughs> the whole thing is propaganda by an underground party that is very authoritarian and very uh, state socialist. Yeah. Uh, this is not going to end well for you people. Yeah. Um, and then we, we haven't I even... Think, I don't think we've mentioned Harry Potter during the actual show. Um, I think we, we, you know, we talked about it in the pre-show, but like, you know, at the end of that, they're still living in a, like, a slave society run by like magical bureaucracy where you know all these problems that you know like the government being taken over by um the what's their fucks the voldemort's followers you know they they didn't fundamentally change anything that allowed them to do that they don't like purge the the racists from the government they just go back to the liberal society that they had before. Yeah. Like 
we should probably do a future episode on how many bloody stories revert to liberalism. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't uh, be bad. The, the, the one interesting movie, um, there was a movie that starred uh, Donald Sutherland and Rafe Fiennes. Mm-hmm. Um, Voldemort? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, I caught... Oh, uh, it was called In the Land of the Blind. Oh, and, I never heard of that. Um, it, the whole thing is based on the quote by Desiderius Erasmus that says, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Okay. Um, which very obviously means he with the most information in an ignorant society will end up ruling that society. Um, and Not really true because I know everything and I'm just a guy. Yeah, yeah, but you don't know <laughs> everything uh, about knowing nothing. So that's why. Uh, whereas Trump obviously knows everything about knowing nothing and <laughs> he's winning um, tiger blood and all. Um, and in the movie, the, the, the point being made is um, before the revolution, man oppressed man after the revolution. It's the other way around. Um, and, and it's a recurring theme throughout the movie. There's like three revolutions or whatever throughout the movie. And each time, the, the new leaders basically just step up and do exactly the same shit that the previous guys did. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a beautiful story in that it, it makes tankies look like the pieces of shit they are. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, so, uh, like, that to me is the perfect dystopian movie. Um, which uh, is kind of the opposite of what you're asking for, but it's yeah. the best I can come up with. I, 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 did, I did come up with one movie where they're in a dystopian society and at the end it seems like they're going to overthrow it and um, not just revert back to liberalism, uh, which is actually one of my favorite sci-fi movies, even though... According to a lot of people, it's very bad. Uh, in time with uh, Justin Timberlake. Oh yeah! Oh yeah. yeah! At the end, it seems like they're actually going to institute a communist society because yeah. they realize. Yeah. I mean, the, like with the society they set up there, there's no way that you can like not see a class system. You know, unlike with money, which, you know, money functions exactly the same way as as time does in that show, um, except. You know, it, it obfuscates the fact that they're controlling your time and your ability to survive. Um, but with with the time-based society they have there, it's readily apparent that they are living in a class society that needs to be overthrown and not just replaced with, you know, some liberal society. So that's, that's the one exception yeah. I can think of. I also, I disagree with other people um, who... who tell you that it sucked because i don't think it sucked at all i thought it was a pretty damn good movie yeah i thought it was really good <laughs> i don't know yeah. why people don't like it uh everyone who's watching, I, I, I think it's the contrarian types that like if you press them like wh- why didn't you like it and they're like oh <laughs> it's doesn't somebody like like I'm, I'm not allowed to like <laughs> that wasn't even the, that, that wasn't does. even the thing i don't think um they like i remember reading something about like oh the writing was bad like okay 
what was wrong with the writing? The story is interesting and good and compelling and is I I, I think they thought it was like a ham fisted um analogy for our society, but it's like, dudes, have you seen like regular people's reactions to these dystopian movies? They think that this is a totally different society that's not com- comparable to ours at all. And then they go back to their job where they're the literal oppressors and <laughs> they, like after having cheered for the, the rebels that overthrow the you know the evil overlords whereas like this one it's so in your face that like there's no way that you could mistake like i don't i don't think you could come away from that movie and not be like wow this is actually exactly like the society the society that we live in now yeah but yeah no i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm too optimistic there too (laughs) no Uh, well uh, look obviously um the the end time had various kind of cheesy cliche moments. Yeah, which which is not great writing. But at the same time, when what you're trying to do is you're trying to create an analogy that relates back to contemporary society, and you're trying to critique capitalism, you're going to have to use certain obvious tropes. You can't make it all just like abstract metaphors that only poets will understand um yeah i would rather have like a really compelling um theme like class society is evil and needs to be overthrown with some you know cheesy cliches in it than like yet another you know interpersonal drama or whatever that is like you know is an art house film that's extremely well written by you know mastercraft writers or whatever like i don't give a shit about that shit i don't i don't good. care how how incredibly good the story is if the story is the same fucking story that we've all watched a million times you exactly know? exactly okay so um before we we sign off today um i was driving home last night late at night listening to BBC news mm-hmm. when it popped up and they, they, they said something that really, really both pissed me off and, um, and also bothered me because of its gross inaccuracy. Um, they say in time sucks. Cause I, d- I also disagree with them. <laughs> um, and no, that was about a week ago uh, <laughs> and I've gotten over that. But no, <laughs> I was driving along when it was announced that the Apple Corporation has been announced as the first ever uh, trillion-dollar company. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they managed to beat Amazon to the punch, and they've become the first ever trillion-dollar company. And uh, I, I don't I even understand that, because like, what, what have they done lately? The last um, major product they've had was the Apple Watch, which fucking sucks. No one cares about it. I think it's because of their last earnings report. Um, and, right, and, right. But, and what, but what I'm asking is, like, what? how are their what earnings are they still done? growing? What have they done? How are their earnings Nothing. still growing? Absolutely, they haven't done shit. The, the like iPhone, iPhone sales continue to go up? piece of shit. No, no. iPhone X sales did terribly, in, as far as I know. Not that I follow um, Apple at all. I hate them, and I, I hope that everyone with an iPhone um, gets raging diarrhea. 
Um, but yeah, so I got home immediately and went, uh, I wonder who else could be valued that way. Because the first thing that popped into my head is, you know, I live next to a country that has quite a large uh, uh, valuation um, that's going to be announced later this year. And that's Saudi Aramco, uh, who who have basically set aside 5% of the company to be valued on uh, 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 to go public with. And that five percent of their of the of the company's value going going public is valued at between one point five and two trillion dollars. So go suck an egg, Apple. Um, so I, I just but, looked it up. Um, um so for the past quarter they sold forty one point three million iPhones. Sorry. Forty one Oh yeah, forty-one point three million iPhones. They were estimated to sell forty-one point eight million. Um, and by comparison, in the in the same quarter of last year, they sold forty-one point zero three million. So, so they sold like two hundred seventy thousand more than last year. But uh, clearly, that's that's enough to um, to push their stock price up high yeah. enough to make them the first ever trillion dollar company. Yeah. Stupid so the sales dumbass. are continuing to grow. Uh, I mean, not, I do not as know as expected, and yeah, I do know that Apple has um, has seen a seven thousand percent increase in its um, market cap um, and share price since Tim Cook took took over. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to save all the, 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 the Tim Cook vitriol for when we finally do an episode on Tim Cook, because I've got a lot to say about Tim Cook. <laughs> okay. um, uh, just before anyone forgets about it, because we must never, ever, ever, ever forget about it. If we adjust for inflation, the largest company in history and I do mean this by a large margin because literally, if we take all the big companies from today, like Apple, Facebook, Google, uh, all of the big ones, if we take them all and combine them all together, they might almost match up to this company when we adjust for inflation. Um, and that's the Dutch East India Company. Interesting. I thought it was going to be um, Standard Oil or something. Oh, no. The Dutch East India Company, if you were to uh, adjust for inflation, would be valued at about $8 trillion today. Wow. Yeah. We're talking about a company that had real power. Uh, they, they dominated I mean, the they entire country. planet. <laughs> so. and, and they also owned pretty much all the slaves that uh, most countries based their advanced economies on. So and most people have to um, rent their slaves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, we don't even have to go with a company as big as um, as big as the Dutch East India Company. We could go with the British version of Enron and just look at the South Sea co- uh, Company. You know that 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 English company that was in and of itself essentially a bubble. Because uh, if we adjust for inflation, that would have been a four trillion dollar company. Um, wow. And, and I mean, we, uh, and we I, don't I even also have read something recently that um, even though Jeff Bezos has this record wealth, 
Um, again, if if you were to adjust it for inflation, um, I think it was Carnegie and Rockefeller both were worth far more than than he ha- he oh, is yeah. now by oh, like yeah. by like five times at least or something like that. Um, and you know, so we the, don't the, have the nineteenth century still much worse than <laughs> the twenty first century, fortunately. But we yeah. are getting there, so you know we yeah, still have room to uh, unimprove. <laughs> We're, we're, we're sharpening up the guillotines. Don't worry about yeah. it. Um, and just so that everyone doesn't think that we have to go way back in history in order to find these companies that were so huge and much bigger and better than, than um, Apple or Amazon or whatever, PetroChina is, is currently valued at $1.7 trillion. So... Um, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. they. I think they get around that by saying it's the first like publicly traded company or some shit like that. You know. Well, um, again, Saudi Aramco, five uh, percent be of the company being traded publicly is worth one point five trillion. So, damn. Tim Cook, Tim Cook, consider this a warning. Yeah, I'm coming for you. Yeah, more like Tim Cook. Yeah, Tim Cook, we are coming for you in a future episode that we haven't decided on yet. <laughs> All right, um, that's the end of our show. If you enjoyed it, uh, you can give us a follow on Twitter at NeighborSciPod, Instagram at NeighborScience, Facebook.com slash NeighborScience. Uh, we have a Patreon, Patreon.com slash NeighborScience. Our website is PostScarcityMagazine.com. Um, that has... Uh, the post-scarcity zine as well as all of our episodes uh, which are tagged so you can search by tag if you want to look for the other anime episodes uh, you can just click the anime tag and it'll put them all on one page for you um, you know we're on any podcast app I don't know why I'm saying that because you're listening to us presumably through a podcast app <laughs> I think it's I uh, think or, it's or if you're listening to us in the site congratulations uh, you can also find us on podcast apps <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think my mom in South Africa listens to us on on the website. I don't nice. think she has a podcast app. Cool. Um, if if you liked us, um, go on iTunes and give us a review. Um, not a bad one, you know. If you disliked yeah. us, don't give don't us a review. A uh, there's no such thing as iTunes, um, and. You know, you probably like us anyway. You just you just don't realize it yet. It's fine. Um, everyone has bad also, opinions. Also, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't like our show, um, there's a very good chance you might be a tanky, um, or a liberal, <laughs> or a conservative. In which case, we don't give a shit. Do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, we will eventually overthrow you anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm at handle of Rye, um, with no e at the end. Peter is at bookcheekite. Uh, B-O-O-K-C-H-E-E-K-I-T-E. And I think that's everything. Yeah, that's it. Uh, just finally, um, as always, a reminder to abolish capitalism and to establish anarchism. Yep. Oh, and uh, we are going to be off next week uh, because I'm going to be on a trip. So we, we won't have time to do an episode for next week. We don't have any backups yeah. either. So. Yeah, we we've run out of our our Christmas backups that we made over Christmas. Yep. Uh, and yeah. So deal with it. Um, for those of you that go into withdrawal symptoms, uh, we will still be available to chat with on Twitter. So hit us up there. 
and uh, we'll we'll school you on some capitalist power or some dank neighbor science. Yeah, and if you want any recommendations for other podcasts, I can give those to you as well. So yeah, you can message me about that. All right, bye. Bye.